0: Describing what it was like to grow up in Wales, the Oscar award-winning actress Catherine Zeta-Jones once said, I grew up in a small, strictly Catholic fishing village. The people there have a different attitude to life than those in Hollywood. People stick together. Well, thank you, Catherine Zeta-Jones. That quote couldn't be a more appropriate one to open this show with, because this show is all about Wales, and it's all about sticking together. Who's my guest? Well, it's not Catherine Zeta-Jones but it is someone from wales yeah big surprise you can clearly tell we're going the direction on this program of wales i'm alex green and this is stereo embers the podcast check this out Play. of The Alarm, a band which features my guest today on the program, Mike Peters. Let me tell you a little bit about The Alarm and Mike Peters. With almost 20 studio albums under their belts, along with a discography that includes live albums, box sets, and EPs, The Alarm are one of those outfits where you pretty much want everything they put out. From albums like Declaration to Strength to their brand new one, Forwards, The Alarm are a completist's band. And speaking of forwards, it's a remarkable record. Singer-songwriter Mike Peters has never sounded so vital. His voice alive with muscle and belief. Now, The Alarm have had a remarkable career that's filled with endless highlights. Let me just give you a couple. But keep in mind, this is a totally partial list. They toured with U2 and Bob Dylan. Played at Queen's Live at Wembley concert in 1986. Been on IRS's The Cutting Edge and American Bandstand. Had hit singles all over the world, even cracking the Billboard Top 50 here in the States. And they wrote a song that became the official Welsh anthem for Euro 2020. The historian Martin Johns, or it could be Martin Jonas, I don't know. I could be totally screwing that up. But he wrote a book called Wales since 1939. And in that book, he said the alarm are a major part of the contemporary history of Wales, consistently reflecting their cultural trends. Pretty cool, right? Now, I may not be one to pronounce last names correctly all the time, but I do know this Mike Peters, that's an easy name to pronounce, and this was a very easy conversation to have. He's a lovely, lovely guy. So here you go, me and Mike Peters of The Alarm having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
1: spring hot day so yeah really nice
0: are you in um are you in wales or are you
1: yeah yeah i'm in wales yeah with sun shining it's great <laughs> do you uh i'm in san francisco and, um, oh, nice
0: we had, we had rain last night and it's cold wow. i don't know what's going on so wow <laughs> yeah, i know i know yeah. who
1: knows it, you can
0: never tell these days can you you can't do you uh do you find that weather can actually uh be some kind of catalyst for creativity? Do you find that you work better in the summer or the winter <laughs> or, do you, or does it matter? I don't think it matters, but
1: obviously in the alarm, we're guilty of a few songs that are driven by um, weather fronts. Shall we say, I love to feel the rain in the summertime, howling wind, where we hiding when the storm <laughs> broke? The list go, goes on.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But,
1: yeah. I, I think where where I live in Wales, you know, it's, uh, I live up on the, in a village in, uh, called Dizath, and it, we're we're high up. We've got like a 360 view right down the coast, right across to Snowdonia, and you can see the weather coming at you. And as a songwriter, you can't help but be moved by it. Sometimes it's just part of the DNA of being from Wales. Excuse me.
0: It reminds me of those sort of pastoral poets of the 17th century, or sort of like the uh, the Wordsworths, and the, you know, just being inspired by the uh, by the land.
1: I wandered lonely as a cloud. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think it you know it's like with with um, Dylan Thomas, you know, over John's Wood, say John's wood and all, all that kind of thing, you know, do not go gentle into that good night. they're they're all there's they're a lot of weather weather driven because here in Wales, we we the weather can be extreme, you know, not not as extreme as, say New York. We don't get as cold as New York and we don't get as hot as New York, but it can be quite changeable. And and it does affect your mood, and therefore it affects your songwriting because it's it's it um, can't guarantee the weather in Wales. Um, so I, I think we we have to accept what comes along. Uh, Whereas say in California, you know you're going to get a hot summer, or you're going to get three months, and you can leave the the outdoor furniture out in the backyard. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to take it in, in case a storm comes along. Whereas in Wales, it's always a bit of a a predicament as to whether to go to bed with the sunshine and whether you're going to wake up with it still shine or whether it's going to change completely. Uh, it's it's a, a mountainous area. Uh, we're, we're close to the sea. So it's a lot of, um, you know, elements collide here. So it keeps us keeps us on our toes, shall we say?
0: Well, I remember when I first heard rain in the summertime, I remember thinking to myself, I love this song. But what is he talking about? Because I'm from California, yeah, course, <laughs> <the> summertime. Yeah. <laughs> does, does that actually happen? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, often when it's really hot, um, we all love it in Wales when the rain comes along and you think, wow, great, because we're, we're just not, we're, we're not geared up for the snow because it doesn't happen all the time. So you, we can't have, afford as a country to park loads of sm- snowmobiles that because we don't know if it's going to come or not. And so when it does come, we just have to live with it. Whereas in say if you go to Scandinavia they know it's going to snow in the winter so they're ready for it and they have all their trucks ready and it's the same in the winter we we don't know when, when we're going to get hot weather or or in different weather and and when it's been really hot I think there's some something about all of us in in Wales when we like a bit of that rain just to come and uh, it's why we live here you know we like the different the change of the elements the unpredictability I think there's something really nice about that that you know there's something great about on a on a cold winter's night getting the fire on and 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 hunkering down for a nice night and the same in the when it's hot and sunny it's it's great to be out there and and but it's nice to have the change as well you know it's nice to, if, if you're walking and it's really hot and you and you're climbing up snowed and then all of a sudden there's a, sn- a rain shower comes like wow thanks it's cooled me down it's beautiful you know so it's a great feeling and and again that like, it does creep into your songs and uh so we we, we do, um, you know, we can't complain about the rain, especially because we have a song called I Love to Feel the Rain in the Summertime. <laughs>
0: right, right. Not, yeah. No, there's no complaints in that song. Um, did you, it, it's, I like the fact that you, that you live in Wales, that you didn't you know, like move to LA or or something like that. You stayed, you stayed, you know, in your home, in your home. Yeah. So your relationship to your home must be very strong.
1: Yeah, I think there's some, something in, in all, Welsh people that goes back to the beginning of our culture is um there's a word in Welsh called hiraith and it and it's untranslatable but it, it it's it's unique to a Welsh person and and, and it describes in some ways a longing for Wales whenever we Welsh people come out of Wales we long to get back we it's like we've got an umbilical cord that can't be cut it keeps pulling us back to Wales we're we're, we're you know we're, we're not like the Irish people say who you know they just go and they 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 take over wherever they are and and, and they're, they're happy to, to settle there you know they they always say that um i don't know which is true really that the the um the welsh people are the irish who couldn't swim or <laughs> the irish are the welsh people who could swim and get away from the romans because <laughs> <laughs> we're all one and the same really but we all we made our stand here and the ones who could travel and didn't mind they they set you know cross the Irish Sea into into Ireland so it's a it's a it's a, it's a you know, one of those deep things in in the Celtic upbringing that we have um, and it's a characteristic of the nation but yeah most Welsh people are quite happy to stay here and and make make their life in the principality.
0: Is your Welsh identity something that you're more in touch with now than say that you were when you were twenty twenty one? Has it yeah, only well, gotten stronger? Oh, definitely. When when I
1: was growing up in Wales as a musician, I felt it was more of a trap. It was, there was nothing happening and I wanted to be where the sex pistols came from or I wanted to be in Notting Hill where the clash came from or New York where the New York dolls came, came from there, or Long Island where the stray cats came from. That seemed exciting to me. Uh, whereas real, what's come out of real? Nothing, you know, ice cream and rock, you know, that's about it. And uh, And I thought that we we've got to get away from this and uh and we did you know we when we started the band the alarm we we made our single and moved to london with our single unsafe building and and we got a a, an address in london so we could pretend to venues that we were a a band from the south of england and that that meant we we lived and worked in the area and we if we had a gig from in this venue we'd bring 100 friends and and they fell for that subterfuge you know that uh, it was Far from the truth, you know. We didn't know anybody when we moved to London, really, and uh, so. But it was when we got to America that we started to realise how great Wales was because people like yourself are saying, "Well, what's it like?" And you say, "Well, yeah, we, you know, we come from home. We've got the mountains of Snowdon. we have got the Irish. we have got these amazing beaches and great culture." And thinking, actually, it sounds really good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then, and and so in, in 1986, when we came back from a, you know two or three years of constant touring from 83 to 86. We were either in the studio or on the road. And 86 was the first time I had a couple of weeks to myself. And I, I didn't want to pick up a suitcase and go to another hotel. I'd done that for three years nonstop. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to stay here in Wales and travel around the country. I took a video camera meet with me. It was the first time you could have a video with a, a, an audio recorder in it that was you know, affordable to the common person. And uh, and I instead of recording my songs on Walkman, I would I set up the vid the camera and filmed and wrote about what I could see, and that was the beginning of what became Rain in the summertime and the I the Hurricane album, and um, and I think that that's when I really fell in love with the country, and I, I realised that uh, you know I, I was a sort of Welsh person who'd been denied the language through my upbringing, uh, through no fault of you know anyone really, it was just that's the way it moved and uh, and then I, I i realized that when i when i got older I, I wanted to make sure my kids knew they were from wales and understood the language spoke the language and brought them up in 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 the culture and um i think uh, it's we're a much more vibrant place now than we were when i grew up in wales mm. we, we, there was no devolved government in wales then when i first came to america it was um, you know to visit wales come to england and visit wales it was we were very much seen as being part of england you know, we, we've got introduced for our, our first gig in New York was with U2, and Ed Koch, who was the mayor of New York at the time, uh, came down to introduce U2, and I thought they they kind of foisted them off on us instead. <laughs> and uh, he, he goes on stage, you know, he's obviously politicking, and he, he goes, eh, from England, Wales, the alarm, you know, from Wales, England, you know, and uh, it was like, oh, no, we're, we're not, we're from Wales. <laughs> it's a standalone place. But in 1980. 1999, really, we got um devolved government in, in Wales and uh and so now we can promote Wales as Wales around the around the world. You know, we don't have to say England, we're from Wales, independent country. Yeah, you know, I think the, the problem we're gonna have now is uh is I've got had some friends who were in California the other week for their holidays, and uh that whenever they said they were from Wales, they went, ah, Wrexham, Ryan Reynolds.
0: Right. <laughs> i know
1: <laughs> so we've gone from being we're part of hollywood now in a weird sort of way which is probably cool and uh and, and i'm sure the younger generation of uh, welsh people growing up here will, will appreciate that and uh, and it'll become part of their culture
0: yeah it does it definitely has raised the profile here because americans i think it's safe to say know nothing about Wales, um but now they know a little bit because of that that ride Ryan.
1: Thing. I think, you know, I was always envious when I got to America, how many Irish bars there were. I think, why is there no Welsh bars, you know, and how come everyone drinks Scottish whiskey? How come there's no Wales drinks? You know, ev- all the people seem to know about Wales were Richard Burton, Shirley Bassey and Tom Jones or something like that. That was the sum of our of, uh, Welsh exports around the world. And, th- and now it's changed, you know, the, we, the alarm have played a little bit of a part of that. You know bob people have realized bob dylan took his name from dylan thomas the welsh poet and uh, um you know we've we're, we're um because of we're the oldest language in europe and um but because we've stayed put i think we didn't um colonize places with you know that um, we've got bethesda in wales and there's some welsh colonies in in, in um, around pennsylvania and that kind of thing some welsh welsh names are across america but not we don't have that colorful um, iconic uh, branding that sort of Ireland has and, and certainly Scotland has through whisky, but in, in a, uh, I remember once um, in uh, around 87, 88, um, Elliot Roberts who was the manager of Neil Young and he, he was uh, David Geffen's partner and managed Crosby, Stills, Nash Young and Young and all that kind of stuff, he came to stay with me here in Wales and I took him round Snowdonia into the mountains and he looked at me. He says, "Mike, this place doesn't need a prime minister. This place needs a manager. It's so good. <laughs> you can market this amazingly." And he was right, really. You know, we in Wales we've got all the castles. The history is—you can touch it. it, it we're the best-kept secret, so we're, I think we're locked into a, a sort of eternal battle in Wales that we want to be known around the world, but we also want to keep it just for ourselves as well because it's so good. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I like the fact, because I talked to Jim from Simple Minds, and he told me that when, when you're a kid, you think that the world either ends at the ending of your street or it begins there. And so right. he was the idea of like, you know, the idea of taking off and disappearing. And, um, and it sounds like you did that, like you you had this vision to leave, um, but then you, you, you came back. And I, I just think that's really cool, because I think that, what's that Tom Waits line? Like, I never knew my hometown until I saw it from far away. I
1: mean yeah, that's it. Or well, Gandhi, you know, to come home, you have to go away. Right. And I think I think that's true. You do, you have to go away to appreciate what it is that's all around you. You have to be able to look outside yourself. Yeah, you know, when, when we first met the stray cats in 1980, before we became the alarm, you know, they 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 played rockabilly music in America where everyone thought, yeah, everyone plays that. It's you know, no big deal. When they came to London and no one could play it like Brian Setzer on the guitar or have a stand-up drummer, it was like, This is incredible, this is groundbreaking. And and, uh, I I always felt that ourselves as a band, when we um, we re-emerged as the alarm a few months after touring with the Stray Cats with a lot of lessons under our belt, um, I thought it was important that we took our energy elsewhere, where it could grow, where it wasn't just, we weren't just people playing to people who'd seen us grow up in school and go from one song to the next and change from one band into another. We needed a fresh start with a brand new beginning uh with people who would be impressed by what we did rather than you know just taking it for granted and thinking oh they're off on another mad escapade although you know so it was important i think to have that that new beginning and i think lots of people do that in life they can escape their the some people get typecast in school because they maybe have to wear glasses or or they're overweight and they get typecast as the as the fat kid in school and all this sort of stuff you know or the brainy one in school and then when they when they go to a city where they're anonymous because maybe that's where their life takes them their work takes them and and then maybe that guy who's been overweight he trains and he trains and he becomes skinny and he, he can reinvent himself, but back goes back home. It's like, where did all the weight go? You know, it's sort of like, almost like, well, you're not allowed to, you know, whereas somebody sees him in in a fresh start as being, wow, he's fit and happening and he's got this going on. It, it's a, sometimes you have to rebrand yourselves as human beings when you, if you fail at a sports team, you have to go and rebrand yourself at another one. Or as a journalist, you have to go and write again in a new style somewhere and uh you know it, it you can do it you know there's there's always a way to do those kind of things that, that's what I've always um bought into as a a, a p- person if something's not working we'll have another go go at something else
0: yeah it's at university you always or even maybe high school and university you always see people trying on personas to rebrand I'll be the goth yeah. guy or I'll be the rugby guy or whatever yeah, that- that's and it. then they'll 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 go with what works but you can see them when they can tell something's not working they'll tweak it a little bit and become something else <laughs> yeah I know yeah well that's how that's that's it isn't it and it's, it's
1: sometimes it's hard when it's happening and it's someone you know really well it can be quite challenging you know because you're thinking Hang on, you went that yesterday uh, and I, I think that's why again you need to get away from the the conceptions that are around you sometimes to to become who you really want to be you know
0: well, when you went back to Wales in 86 and the alarm had become the alarm, like really, yeah. you guys had had emerged. Yeah. Um, people must have still uh, like, oh, there's there's Mike Peters, <laughs> you know. The, the, yeah, oh,
1: being... absolutely. absolutely. Look, I'd come home and you go to the pub, you know, for a drink like you do with all your mate. And there'd be the, the people sat in the same corner they were three years ago. And they'd say, hey, how's it going? You still there? Uh, still uh, you know strumming away you know all that sort of thing <laughs> like yeah don't you want and then you think no they haven't got mtv here they don't know you know it's like it, and 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 people say he's still in the band you know you go well yeah. but you realise a lot of people when they get grow out of being teenagers or whatever they they stop buying music magazines and papers they stop tuning into music channels they they get a job they go off into life their the girlfriend doesn't like music or, or like soul music and not rock music. So that's they give that up and, and then they don't stay with it. And they think you have gone the same path as them. They don't realise, you know, I, I still, you know, talk about Bob Dylan. And people say, is he still going? You know, I think, yeah, well, of course he is. But just because he's not on, you know, Sunday morning television or Saturday morning pop TV or he's on top of the pops or he's not got a new video on MTV or YouTube. He's still going, man. You know, he's still making great new music and challenging his audience. But people uh, who don't
0: look don't find, do they? Don't see it. So do you feel in in Wales? Do you feel like a regular guy, or do you don't feel like Mike Peters of the Alarm? You just feel like a like a regular
1: dude. I do. Yeah, to be honest, I I, I live in the village where I was born. You know, I'm I, I'm 500 yards away from my where I spent my first night alive in the, in the local public house, the dinnig pub. In Disseth with my, my dad and my mum, and, and uh we, you know we just opening our own music bar and coffee shop in in the village now opposite the waterfalls i'm thinking like wow i'm the same age as my dad was when he died you know now i'm about to become a publican and a landlord and all those things you think wow i haven't, haven't got that yeah you know, certainly haven't gone that far and everyone knows me you know because uh, i've grown up here in the village my kids are here mm. you know i've stood on the touch lines watching them play football and rugby and take them to golf and pick them up from school. And, and you're just one of the regular guys. And I sort of like that because, uh, you know, I don't get asked me autograph. You know, if I go to Manchester to watch football at Man United, I invariably get asked me autograph and you get cho- treated a little bit differently, which is that's great. And that's that I accept that and I'm, I'm glad that happens. But it's nice to come home and just be me and, and fall back on the roots that have um, helped shape me as a person and the values i have and and uh, grown in a community with people who care who really do care you know i've had a lot of life struggles and you know when i go to hospital it's amazing people know me from you know i know the nursing staff you know they they, they have grown up with some of them and it's you, you can't you can't put a price on that to help you your well-being and your recovery and 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 to walk into a place where somebody actually knows you from as, as who you are they, they they'll go that extra mile to make sure you're being cared for and that it's really valuable to have that
0: because community is a very underrated thing you know like I was thinking about the other day I thought I don't know anybody on my street here I know I don't know any neighbor so if I needed if I got locked out of my house I wouldn't know who to talk to which is a very yeah. weird thing yeah um, it yeah. sounds like it sounds like you would know exactly who to talk to oh yeah because <laughs> walk you down the road
1: now and take you to see everybody <laughs> melvin next door <laughs> dave across the road you know lorraine the next door but one we're all here you know we all know each other it's it's more you know i live in a place places you, you know you live in a place where there's millions of people i live in a place yeah. where there's actually just two and a half thousand three thousand people living in the village where i live you know so so we did you do get to know each other especially when you live here and you bring your kids up and your and your and your parents are from here as well, and your grandparents. It's uh, it's inevitable you're going to know everybody, or you're going to know somebody who knows somebody. And and uh, you know we we've got a new bar opening called the Red opposite the waterfalls where we live, and and we had a sort of soft opening the other night, and I was DJing and playing on my vinyl records on the decks. And and it was just a hullabaloo of everyone in the bar. Everybody knew it, each other. You know, it's it's a classic small town upbringing, but 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 with a big outlook. You know that because we've got some real values at the core of what makes us who we are. Yeah, I've I've met many men and women in in the village in in the bar uh, where where i was grown up and where, where I still you know frequent now and again. And it's amazing how the, those people never travelled. They've just stayed in this one place, but they're so knowledgeable, so wise, and you don't always need to travel and adventure to become um, a rounded person who's who can contribute to the, the what the planet's all about.
0: I talked to Damien of the Undertones the other day, and he told me that in Derry, where he's from, it's very natural to not have confidence, whereas like in Manchester, everyone has pre- pretends to have confidence or whatever that yeah. posture is. Is there a Welsh personality trait that you think you can pinpoint? No, it's a generalization. But is there a yeah. kind of um, a kind of cultural um, commonality that you see in personalities in in the Welsh?
1: I think I think one of the one of the things with Wales is is that our own language is still quite strong, so it it, um, it causes um, you know one of the things I found when I was growing up was because I couldn't speak the language. I was almost considered not Welsh or there, there's a suspicion of people who, who say they come from Wales but they don't speak the language so there's there's a little bit of suspicion to contend with when we're the, again the, certainly in North Wales where I live uh, we have to contend with a lot of people moving into the area people who retire and discover it they want to come and live on the amazing coastlines and in the amazing villages we have and take advantage of the views and the silence and the mountains and and it, it, it creates uh, uh, some unrest amongst the the locals that certainly maybe the older people in the community think well my kids can't afford to live here anymore because we've there's 20 homes that are full of people from manchester who maybe come down once a year to, to to have a weekend here or something like that, and it's uh, so there's there's a little bit of um, suspicion in Wales, and we we've always, I've always tried to sort of counteract that a little bit myself and say look we you know we, language is, it's it's a communication tool. It's not to, meant to put up barriers and exclude people. It, we have to talk and 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 be open and find ways around the the feelings we have rather than bottling them up and and then trying to set fire to someone's cottage because they they don't speak your language or you don't think they're Welsh you know whereas they might just be returning because they to the land of their fathers who knows you know if you don't talk to them you'll never find out so I think there's some some there's an element of that that we have a there's a little bit of suspicion and probably because we're in a nation that historically has been quite pushed down by uh you know invasion you know the welsh people are the original indigenous people of britain and then when when the invaders came say the romans or the normans they pushed us all out to the coast up to scotland out to the borders of wales onto the coastline behind the mountains and that's why we make that joke that the the irish or the welsh that couldn't swim the ones who wanted to get away from the romans got in the channel and swam across and 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 they colonized ireland uh, but we're all Celtic and, and, and the original British people. But there's a suspicion of that because we've always been, um, we've always come off worse when people have invaded the country, in mm-hmm. know, in a way. And so we we have a little bit of suspicion towards anyone who who's not one of us when they step into
0: our, our realms. Did you dive into sort of Welsh history? Did did you kind of just out of curiosity? It sounds like, you know, what you're talking about, obviously, but did you, um, <laughs> You know, because because California history, where I'm from, is fraught with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, blemishes. Let's just say we've there's a a a lot of a shameful history too. Um, But did you have an interest, and did you sort of look back and sort of see, like, from an ancestral point of view, did did you have like a um, a fascination with how things came to be where you live? Oh, yeah, very much so. Especially in, as I say, in '86,
1: when I had some time to myself, I, I thought I want to discover Wales. I want to read about its history. I want to discover who I am, why, why I feel the way I do in the world, uh, about certain things and, and w- where's this dynamic come from, you know? And, and so, and, and, and um, again, when I come home because I lived in the potwells that had, uh, some Welsh language television, I'd see a lot of bands on, on, uh, there was a program called video Night now video nine, it means in English. And, uh, that, and I thought some of these bands are amazing, but they are singing in Welsh, so no one's going to understand what they're on about. You know, so we 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 whenever we played in Wales from that point onwards, we always had Welsh language bands opening for us. And I, I'd say to them, look, you know, there's there's two thousand people out there tonight and they're all Welsh like me, but they can't speak the language. <laughs> so why don't you go and at least introduce your songs in English and then sing them in Welsh and it be like, nope, sell out. That's selling out, you know. I'm going, oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, eventually, we we made an album in Welsh. You know, we made that in 1989. We made the Change album in completely in Welsh. As alongside it, as as Nefid, which is Change in Welsh, and uh, and we and we tried to show the way forward. And it made a a big impact. You know, it certainly raised a lot of eyebrows. And um and then a lot of bilingual, our, our Welsh only artists became bilingual. and They realised that. You know, they weren't selling out if they went to france and sang in english they could sing in welsh in wales but mm. if they went to london singing english it's you're not selling out anything you're communicating that's 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 the the benefit and uh, and then i and through that i i realized that how why there was a the welsh language had survived because of the industry of a lot of people uh there was a welsh singer particularly called dab Yuan. Gwynfor Evans, brilliant people who who laid down there. They they became our Martin Luther Kings in a way. You know that they, they adopted direct action. They'd go on hunger strikes to, till they got Welsh TV, and they, they would take direct action and change the the names of the, of the the road signs, which were all in English. They would spray the Welsh names underneath them, and till eventually the government realised, wow, yeah, we've got to give Wales some of its language back here and some of its own identity and 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 that that became that was uh really powerful to see and and then realize why there was such intense feeling and why people wanted to protect their culture and and i, I could totally identify that because even as a band you, you you're fighting all day to protect your identity as a band yeah. and and to define who you are and 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 on a bigger scale here's the country's doing the same thing in many many un, unconnected sorts of ways and uh, and then that you know again when I went on the tour, I, I went you know I I came from uh, I remember coming when, when I was growing up in North Wales and and we we sang a song called Bells of well at the time we sang it as Bells of Rimney, and the birds sang it as Bells of Rimney you know and uh, it was it, and then when when we played, we thought we we're going to be really clever and play it in, in Rimney, in 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 the in the village itself we, we were doing a gig in the ronda Valley and we said Sad Bells of Rimney and. And then all the fans are going, hey Mike, it's not Rimney, you know, it's Rumney. That's what it's R H Y. Yeah, but why is in Welsh? Uh, Use Rumney, and and it was like, wow, we have and then no wonder the birds had sang it uh, phonetically correct, but uh, <laughs> wrong in so many ways. And, and so forever, them forever onwards, we sang as the Rumney. But we didn't know. I mean, we came from real R H Y L, and we even said that wrong. You know, it's real really, but we got... Yeah, it's crazy, but we weren't we didn't know these things till we got out there in the world and we thought this is it was a result of the suppression of the language and the barrier, you know, that you, you weren't allowed to speak the language at, at times in, in Wales. It was banned from it was the language of the home, not of the workplace and all that. So hmm. someone from North Wales wouldn't know how to how to pronounce the name in South Wales. And and I could see a lot of it when I when I went to America, you know, I remember driving i took in, in, in around about 1990 uh, i went on a big road trip a right, well, big grand circle adventure right from california i went right around the, the um the grand canyon and went into the navajo indian parts and and all this kind of thing and it was it was fascinating the reading uh, uh, uh begins with z the author it was a people's history of america and uh, and it was pretty eye-opening and and uh, I, I was pretty amazed you know what, what i saw and i thought yeah there's there's an element of of the of, of america that's fighting to cling on to its identity because it's been it's been it's been under threat just like wales and i could i could relate to that but also we have to move on and grow and, and that that's the story of the evolution of man isn't it so we have to um learn to live with the times we're in and and the good things that we can hang on to will survive if we believe in them in the right ways and, and uphold them with the right values and it sounds like you learned the language oh I, i'm dipping back <laughs> uh, but my kids are fluent they they both went to welsh language school and uh, my wife's fluent and and but i i was i spoke when i was first being linguistic till i was about five i spoke welsh in the in the in the first years of school but then i moved into real and that that was just a melting pot of because it was a seasonal summer town like a, a welsh version of asbury park if you like mm. uh, and it was all um my dad had a pub there and a hotel with my mum and it was always uh you know it was great growing up it was in the summer it was all the skinheads and mods and scooter boys and greasers and and you, i got a job on the fairgrounds and got exposed to loads and loads of music and street culture and then in the in the winter you had it to yourself it was great you know it was it was brilliant place to grow up and and get exposed to lots of outside influences were your parents supportive of you when you picked up a guitar and said this is what i'm gonna well, do well, were they supportive
0: yeah. of that yeah
1: i think they were a bit um you know my mum, dad. my dad used to say to me oh yeah if, look if it doesn't work out i can always get you a job you know with um hawker sidley it was it was airbus it's called now and it's making the wings for the airbus planes you know that fly across the planet and uh and he he knew someone there that was hiring and he could he said i could always get you a job if it doesn't work out and and uh but they, my parents were always like look we want you to be happy first and foremost so if that, going out there with the guitar is what makes you happy brilliant we'll support you all the way but if it doesn't work out we'll support you as well and we can get you into this or get you into that and help you in other ways so um luckily it never came to that <laughs> right and yeah then, did,
0: but they were um, great. Well, did they did they uh live long enough to see your success? Did they see Yeah, you?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. My dad died at 64. He was in 1990, My dad died. And uh, but he saw the alarm break out in the in the 80s, and he never came to America to see us, but he, he saw us in London at Hammersmith Odeon. And you know, even my wife Jules, when we met, his my mum and dad and Jules's mum and dad became best friends and um and and jules mum and dad still they work for us now they they run the alarm information service and they jules dad must have spoken to almost every single alarm fan in the world and wow. offered them advice on marriage mortgages <laughs> music a lot you know and uh it, it's because we're in um 1991 uh I felt like we needed more direct communication with the audience. So we opened up a phone line for fans to call in rather than wait five years till we turned up in their town and waited for three hours outside the dressing room door to try and ask a question that they'd probably forgotten about by the time you walked in their midst, you know. So um, yeah, we we opened it up and we started an event called The Gathering where fans could come to us. let's stay at home and a roll reverse rock and roll, put the fans on tour. And we stay at one place, and we and we play a big show, and we put on a whole weekend, and it's like a, a festival for one band. It sounds a bit xenophobic or whatever it is, but it's uh, <laughs> it, it was. Uh, but it, it it's worked, you know. We've been running it for thirty years, just had our thirtieth anniversary gathering now, and uh, it's been you know been it's, it's been great having something like that once a year at the beginning of the year, where we we're fully committed to playing to our best fans from all over the world we have you know we, we get two thousand fans in now and they they all know every b side or every outtake or whatever there is and th- that's a very demanding audience to play to mm. but it sets us up for the it, it means we, it's a big challenge to meet every year and i think that gives us a plugs us into a lot of lifeblood and and it means we've got to be when i go into that part, i've thought, well, i got to have the future plans you know i can't just sit back and pretend nothing's happening i've got i've got to address all these people and tell them what's come in and what's been and how we're going to celebrate that and how we're going to move into the future and musically and uh, it's it's been a brilliant uh, creative forum and i think it's really helped to keep me as the sort of uh, instigator uh, on my toes and, and keep me alive musically in the
2: cities all deserted in the streets of- Non-believers, I've been searching for the way to find you faith In the house that's full of strangers In the parish of decay.
0: Vision from you because you know, even just the video, the video blog that you were doing back in 1986 with the video camera, which was you know 25 years ahead of its time, and then having the phone line so fans could do outreach. Um, those are things, those are qualities that you now see on the internet. On yeah, yeah. I mean, you were really ahead of your time in terms of, or at least very forward thinking in terms of how to keep how to turn like loving a band into a community
1: yeah i think so yeah i think it it was just an extension of who we you know even when we made declaration in 1984 our first album it's dedicated to the family and that's not me and my mum and dad that was to the fans We, we we always saw ourselves as being a part of a family kind of look out for each other and be and be a part of something that could, you know, I, I want a deal on and its family to last a long time. You know, I wanted the I didn't want the band to have to change ever, but families do, don't they? Families can for it can they're they're linked by something bigger than than love and 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 it's a it's a, it's an incredible bond, but it, it also has to be broken at times, you know, people mm-hmm. can have divorces and people can die and pass away and move on. But you but the family keeps moving forward with whoever's part of it and uh so that i think that we've just been aware that that is a big powerful dynamic to foster as a band and and to to you know whether whether even whether i was there or not you know it would still continue in some shape or form and and keep moving forward because it's uh it has that uh eternal aspect that a family does as long as there's offspring the family continues and uh and i think that's uh, i've always thought about that sometimes uh, what what happens when you know in 20 years you know when there's no no not one more original does the band keep going yet well of course it does you know it, hopefully it will hopefully someone will find a way to pick up the battle I keep saying to my kids you know you should be join the alarm and start the next adventure you know carry on the name like like a football team you know a sports right. team the, the new players come in and it keeps going you know there's still trophies to to challenge for and, and things to be done so who knows I, I always stay quite open about it and uh, and live in the moment.
0: Any interest from your kids in in, uh, in joining the fold?
1: Uh, I, I think they're too, they're too cool to join the alarm at the moment <laughs> <laughs> you know my son my younger son he's 16 he's he's in a he's got a, he's just joined a band in the last few weeks and they're actually really good I think so they've got a couple of brothers in it they've got a lot of attitude and i let them rehearse in the alarm room and all that kind of thing and they got some good tunes so you never know but it's a very different world to when i started out now so yeah. um i don't know what 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 the future holds for them but my, my oldest son he he he's a brilliant pianist and great guitarist but he's more interested in in playing golf and <laughs> and hanging out with his and working as a real estate agent that's where he he's driven by property and uh but you know we we they they all come to gigs with us and we all get on great. We always play at home a bit and, you know, and that's how it should be for fun, really. I don't want to put any, I wouldn't want to put pressure on anyone's trying after have to make it now as a musician. As long as you can set up your room and enjoy and play and,
0: and have, have some fun making music, that that's success in my book. My vision of you, I've listened to you for 40 years and my vision of you, my my sort of romantic mythical brain has imagined you as such a disciplined artist uh, I, I always figured you were the kind of guy who was practicing a lot working working at your craft a lot mm-hmm. not you know you're not a guy who who dabbles it's not like a dalliance it's a you seemed so committed early on um am I was that right was I oh, was I, right? I, I I lived for it I, I realized luckily
1: early on how lucky I was to have this opportunity to be in a band and and uh, you know and I, I you know some people think oh it's too good to be true that guy you know whatever it is but i've always stuck at it you know i'm, I'm not a practiser i have to say i don't sit there practicing i still don't know how to do a guitar solo i know i could do it uh, but I, I i can't learn the scales i don't know i I've, i'm too busy thinking about the next song and the chords and get to the next looks. but not only that i'm too busy thinking about how we're going to stage the next show how we're going to make the, make the stage look great and what's going to be the artwork and how we're going to move the, the popping in, uh, on into the future, there's so many aspects of it that I get really caught up in, you know, artwork, video editing, shooting, filming up ideas, uh, com- coming up with, to me a band isn't just about the music, it stopped being about that a long, long time ago, it is it is about building a community and, you, you know, there's... Um, I remember when, it, when it really early on, when um, we started, we never talked to the audience. I, I was too scared to talk to the audience. That was something I couldn't do really. And then so our manager Ian Wilson, who was U2's agent at the time, said, "Why, why don't you, you look, have a couple of beers? You, when you're talking with us after the show, you're cracking all the jokes and you're lucid and you're doing all this. You should be like that on stage." And I said, "Well, oh, I can't do that." He goes, "Have a couple of beers," and I thought, "Okay, go on then." So I had a couple of beers. Go on, stay. I'm brilliant in between the songs. But once I had a couple of beers, I can't sing a note.
2: It's like, oh no!
1: <laughs> and I, I realised, you know, that was uh, let's stop the drinking and carry on, focus on the singing, and be l- lucky that you've got this voice to, to to develop and work with them. And you know, and also we met you two early on. You know, obviously we met the Stray Cats, we were the first proper band we met and toured with in 1980, when the band The Alarm were called Seventeen at the time. I mean, and they were caning it, you know, we didn't quite know how far, to what extent, but there was lots of cocaine and drugs around every night. And it was like, wow, where do these guys get their energy from? You know, like, aha. Uh-huh. And, then, and then and then, you know, and then a few months later, a year later, we meet you two and become friends with Bono and and they're the complete opposite. They're just once they've walked off stage, it's not like how do we take advantage of the night out there in front of us and all these people we've impressed. It's like no, let's get ready for tomorrow. Tomorrow's the most important thing. Let's get ready for that, you know. And that and that I always thought that was a a much better way of of living life as a musician. And so that's all all I've ever carried that energy on is uh try to you know be as astute tomorrow as I can be today, and uh, and not do anything today that could. Spoil tomorrow's opportunity that might arise, whether that's writing a song or coming up with an idea for some artwork or something like. that, At least be allowed, be alive to to receive whatever's coming. Yeah, you know, I m- remember uh, people often ask me how do you write your songs. You know, so they all they just arrive in your imagination. They do. you you. you a word, a phrase, a melody—something comes in, and bang—the song's like you can imagine your favorite record. You could, when you're walking down the street, you don't need to put the needle down on my generation to go. Doon, do, do do. You just got it in your head, you know. And that's how a new song is is derived. And uh, I remember going across the border once with Bob Dylan when we were on tour with him, and I stood right behind him in the in the queue to go across the Canadian border. And everyone has to get there, you know. There's no superstars when you cross the border. Everyone has to stand in line and show their passport to the immigration officer and bob's hands is and i'm stood there and the next minute there are no frontiers come a melody arrives in my head from that became the 1989 change album and i thought wow where did that come from and i thought maybe it's that big fella up there sending it down he meant to send it to bob dylan missed and got me instead <laughs> so i was kind of lucky enough to to receive it and I, and i think wow thankfully I, i'm here and i'm you know uh aware enough to 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 receive it and that's all i wanted to do is make sure i'm aware tomorrow to to take um make the most of whatever comes my way
0: did you take any inspiration from how springsteen did that sort of between song stuff because he in terms of his between song oh. banter or storytelling yeah. um coupled with his songs which had such you know tremendous conviction um was that, were you a Springsteen guy? Did you like what he was doing? Yeah, I, I never liked Springsteen at first. I liked Born to Run,
1: that one song. That was when I was a computer operator in 1976 in uh, for working for Quicksave and, and the guys would take you for lunch on a Friday to this pub called The Railway. That was the only one song on the jukebox that I liked and it was, oh, that's a bit rock, you know, that was good. But I, I couldn't get the rest of the album. I didn't like all the saxophones and the, mm. the keyboards. I, I like guitar music, you know, that was me and um so and then when we got became part of irs records the the british guy who signed this was a guy called steve tallit and he was a massive springsteen fan and he'd you know take me out to his flat or something and he'd go, you've got to listen to this mike and he put the river on you know i think yeah sherry darling i, I you know I, I don't hear that from real you know i can't I, it doesn't mean anything to me and uh and uh, i just didn't get it and then um 1984 um ian wilson our manager was in um new york and we were on the same agency as bruce springsteen we were on Premier talent and ian was taken to a springsteen show in the meadowlands in new jersey and he came home and said mike i've got to take you to see this guy it's going to blow your mind you, this is part of your education i thought oh, i don't want to go Ian, you know we like la- we came to new york to play one show in, at the pier in 84 and we had a day off the night before so ian said right we're going to philadelphia to see springsteen so okay so off we went and i sit there and if anything oh no four hours of this you know oh no and then he comes on born in the u.s i thought whoa hold on a minute what's happening here and then he i was just hooked it didn't stop you know and then and again the the song the stories were poignant you know they they were uplifting they they made you laugh but uh, I could never really quite go, I couldn't I could I couldn't go that far. Um, but in later life, when we, we got to like the 30th anniversary of our first albums, I, I sort of took them out on the road and and told all the stories behind the songs and how we came to be where we were. And uh, I sort of found a way of, it it was to me it was like telling war stories in the back of the van with the guys you know reminiscing about what had happened and that's all springsteen was doing really i finally realized you know, he's just rep but he, you know when you think about it when when it was born the usa he was probably on his sixth or seventh album wasn't he whereas right. you know he's got plenty to reminisce about and stories to tell i didn't have that ammo and it was only till i got five or six albums down the line myself thought, okay yeah i've got i've got something i can tell talk to the audience about because we'll, we'll all have had this in common and i think you need to it's like all, all the journeymen of of great music you know when you go back as far as woody guthrie or dylan and dylan and they're telling stories with their songs but you have to earn the right to tell those stories you have to have that experience you can't just come out on your first album and be a storyteller you've got to have the experience of that i, me- I remember once um in a gap between the alarm about 95 I went, I went to um uh, um Steve Earl's manager at the time was was a big alarm fan and he wrote wrote to us and said look me and Steve we, we like the alarm you know we, we'd love you to come to Nashville and and have a tap with us and maybe there's a collaboration can happen you know so I went out there and, and um I met Steve for one night he, he he wasn't in the best of um of sober uh environment shall we say and, and he was um and we we, what we connected was on songs with stories i, I told the story about my granddad coming to america in 1918 after the first world war and he would wanted to see the statue of liberty and he, he only saw it when he was leaving and all this and it's a great story and and steve was like that's what we should write a song about that you know and I'll, we'll do these immigrant stories and all this kind of thing and then Never happened again, but I went. I did go home and write the song called Statue of Liberty, and that was one of the, probably the very first songs ever a story about. And then, and in, in even in 1987, we when we were doing the Eye of the Hurricane album, where um you were love feel uh, the of rain. In the summertime comes in. There was a song we we we'd, um there was a documentary on the TV about a boxer called Randolph Turpin who had um. Come over and he fought Sugar Ray Robinson in New York, and he 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 became champion of the world for sixty four days, and then he had a big return fight and he lost it, and then it, and it ended up taking his own life and it was a tragic story. But it was set in North. He 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 did all his training for his world title fight in North Wales, and and he had a daughter who used to take the money off us when we went into the little nightclub in Real and all this sort of thing. So we kind of thought we knew him. We thought, Let's write a song about it, you know. And, and we we worked at this song called ballad of randolph turpin and um and then i must have mentioned it somewhere in or i we, we contact some of his family to sort of fact check it the lyrics a little bit and then one night there was a knock on he's obviously he was from gypsy stock you know and we came there was one night where i live in wales there was a knock on the door about three in the morning and there's some very uh cloak and dagger-looking gentleman, and you're Mike Peters, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you're writing a song about Randolph Turpin, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, but I'm trying to do good. You know, like, I don't care about that. If you, for your future life, I would stop that song right now. Got it? I went, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and off it went. So I wasn't quite sure if storytelling was for me, but but I started telling the story recently and, uh, and, and um, re-recorded it for a, a 30th anniversary of Hurricane. And change and um yeah and told the story and I thought well 30 years on maybe they're gonna forgive me by now you know it's allowed <laughs>
0: no so, why why was he so um determined for you not to do it what what was the deal it wasn't
1: him it was I think it he he'd already I think it was more to protect his family I think they they were the the had been a documentary which is probably quite intrusive he had he had a you know, child who was very young and probably didn't they probably didn't want it to infect her life too much going for it. I don't know. Didn't I didn't really stick around to ask too many questions. I thought, okay. <laughs> uh I remember <clears throat> we were doing a, a piece with um Jimmy Gutterman for Rolling Stone at the time. And he was really big into the song, you know, and he was like because he was a bit of a boxing fan. And he thought you've got to put it out, you know, but it never never saw the light of day and <clears throat> until I say just before the pandemic, I I sort of um, went back to the I Ch- the Hurricane and Change albums because they to me they were made at the same they were almost a double album, and uh, and there's and uh, when I laid out the lyrics and put them in a different way, I thought wow the, there was a story here, a big story and and it needed to be told and I, and I shaped the lyrics of the albums in so that either Hurricane was about leaving Wales, going downstream, getting away from it all, and then having it realizing that you can't really deny who you are and where you've come from. It's because that's what's made the person that's on that journey. And so the the change album was more the journey back upstream, and 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 just rediscovering who you are and learning to appreciate and live with who you actually are. And uh, and I went out and took it on the road. It's a spoken word sort of tour, to be honest, uh, with the music. And I, I would walk out in character, telling the story, mm. play the song, then the story, song, story and that sound effects going on and it was it was it, I, I got accepted into um the edinburgh Frin, fringe fest uh, edinburgh fringe festival to to stage it there and uh, and then the pandemic came and stopped it dead in its tracks but i hope to bring that back cuz it was it was a really good um uh way of presenting those two albums and um and and obviously tell it and it, and it became a really storytelling driven uh Piece in, in in its total, you know, it was two different sets. It was it was amazing. So I really wanted to bring it to America, but obviously the pandemic stopped it. So hopefully I can do it one day in the future. Was it easy to slip into that character? Not really, no, because it was uh it was me. It was just a younger me. You was know it was a younger you. It was it was the story of, of leaving Wales with the alarm and then coming back, you know, from, from my perspective. And and I think in a way. When I in 86, after the UCLA events and playing with Queen at Wembley, and when I discovered Wales, uh, and and I I, say, I think I said earlier I had a video camera with a microphone. And so I would I would write songs about what I could see and just stream a consciousness throw these lyrics out there. And the camera was capturing the audio, but also the scenery that I was looking at. And so when I came home and transcribed the songs, all the songs, my The Hurricane. Became part of that, and then in the actual album itself, there's little uh, brackets after each song that tells you where I was when that certain the genesis of that song began. So it was uh, I, I learned a lot about Wales, and and uh, and that that informed the whole journey really, and and the music, and and it, and the Change album was we made that bilingually. So it was a real immersion back into into Wales, and it was a journey back upstream, like the sa- salmon swimming back up the river and uh that, that's that's that you know so i i think i, I learned to become a storyteller <laughs> back to your question <laughs> as, as, as time went by and uh, and so now uh, you know I, i'm quite happy sitting on the stage we again in the pandemic we we were allowed to play events for 30 people in wales and we just built we just converted our recording studio into five apartments so we had we could have 22 fans staying in the five apartments, and we had the community hall, which was enough for 30 people, uh, with our, you know, our local crew and everybody and me and Jules and that. And then and we we had these amazing weekends for 22 Alarm fans, and we broadcast them on the internet on Fridays. I take requests on them on Saturday, and I told millions of stories about the Alarm and the history we've been through, and it was it was great because it gave you the space to do to, to talk and uh, i think sometimes when you're in a band band you haven't got a space to talk because you might start telling a story like bruce springsteen yeah I, I know it happens because i i can tell you and then the band members have heard it for the third time in three weeks or two weeks or three days and they are all go, do, do and, then, and then you can hear the guitars going let's get on with it <laughs> and then, Whereas I don't think you're going to say that to Bruce Springsteen.
0: <laughs> no, I've heard people do that before. Now I know what that is. I didn't know what that was. Get on with it. <laughs> Get on with it. Oh, I didn't know that. Those little like squeaks and and like little someone starts noodling a little bit. Like, come on. Tech
1: speak. Because yeah. when you're on stage, a second is a minute. It, it'll seem, it might be you saying something quite innocuous, but it seems like it lasts forever when you're on stage
0: and that, that's just time stops still when you're on stage that's funny um you were mentioning uh, earlier you mentioned the Stray Cats could you tell early on because that was like well maybe it was like 80 81 that you met them 19, 1980 yeah okay could you tell that Setzer was just insane as a guitar player even then oh I mean he was uh,
1: it was like to us it was like what we must have been like when you've seen Elvis for the first time in 56 or something or 55. You know, he was because it was punk at the time, really, post-punk, and everything was quite minimal. There was no guitar solos. People didn't bend guitars. People had come from the Tom Belaine school of guitar playing and, and Marky e. Moon and, you know, you didn't bend the notes, you just played scales and made it work. And and then all of a sudden along comes Brian Setzer with making a Gretsch talk, you know, and it's like, and he stood playing it still on top of the drum kit with a stand up drummer it was and he had the most amazing quiff and he, they had their shirts cut off you know the 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 the, the stray cats were probably the first band i saw with a tattoo maybe apart from from bon scott and acdc that they 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 they, they wore their tattoos and it was like well you know that that's dangerous and and they because no one had tattoos in the 80s really right. You know, not no football as a sportsman now, now that everywhere aren't they? But it was it was very very rare, and so that the, they were way ahead of their time, and they could they they had songs like "Storm the Iranian Embassy," you know, things like that. They 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 were they were getting into sort of punk speak as well as rockabilly. Uh, we and then they were taking it around Britain, and and it was da- it was dangerous. It was a dangerous tour. You know, we were called Seventeen, and with people. It was still. The original teddy boys from the 50s who think felt like they owned rock and roll they owned the, the phrase they owned elvis you know they hold owned the culture and they thought wow here, here they come the saviors of rock and roll stray cats so they kind of, who, their support band called 17 well they must be a doo-wop group from the 50s with a name like that no they're not you know guitars going you know beer bottles flying we, we would only last minutes on stage you know um, and Dave, our guitarist, he got into wearing some Creepers like the Stray Cats wore. And Because we were in the main band, we'd go out for into the audience after our show, you know, between us and, the, and they'd he'd have flick nights pulled on and get those Creepers off. You're not, you're not entitled to wear those. And, and so the Stray Cats really took it head on, you know, because the, the Teddy Boy culture at that time, probably most of the audience male wise for the stray cats were in their fifties and sixties mm. and then there'd be young punks who were coming in and seen them on the NME and there was a real tension in the audience and then the the the, the 50 or 60 year old teddy boys their young girls bobby Soxers with the, the skirts and the socks they were all young and they were thinking wow the stray cats are hot these guys these punk guys are hot and there was a massive tension in in the air you know every night and uh know it we were lucky to be on the tour we we pretended to be a support band at one of their gigs and got as far as setting up the drum kit and then the manager was going to throw us off and slim Jim the said, give him a chance you know we became great friends we actually went to the studio with them that same night and they recorded runaway boys and rock this town with, with dave Edmonds, who was from wales and and they didn't we'd just come to london we didn't know anybody they didn't know anybody we were from Wales. We we could talk to Dave Edmonds and we became this little enclave and they said, come on the tour with us. We couldn't believe it. <laughs> so and that was a massive education to us, you know, because it, it was very rock and roll tour in the classic sense,
0: shall we say. But the Stray Cats were different than a lot of those bands at the time because there there was incredible musical facility. They could wow. all play.
1: It was incredible. Absolutely. You know, Brian was a master, you know, and and and. There were there were rockabilly bands at the time. I think the Pole Cats. Pole cats, yeah, were, were one. And uh, but they couldn't hold a. F- they were, you know, the, the Brian Setzer could rip the guitar to shreds. I mean, it was it, it was unbelievable. And maybe there was you felt like I think he thought there was there was lots of these kind of guitarists in America, but there was none in Britain, and that's where he stood out. But there was no no
0: one like Brian Setzer anywhere in the world. I don't think. He's so Setzer, like even at in his early twenties, you could tell he was a monster. Oh, that yeah. We got
1: lucky. We saw all the sound checks. We could see what he could do outside of rock and roll. Where he'd be playing all these chords, you know, the Louis Prima sort of stuff was was around on the sound checks when they were playing as the Stray Cats, and they had their set thing, you know, and they they ripped up the rule book of rockabilly and wrote Runaway Boys and things like that. Or they could do more of a straight rockabilly as you know rock this town or they could break out of that with with stray cat strut and swing and all that kind of thing and so everything brian is today was there at the beginning um, and when you're on the sound check you got to see it you didn't see it always in the gig but you just saw it. Uh, and he could sing you know he's a beautiful singer and they could play and and it was just it was mind-blowing to see him in these little places it was absolutely incredible you know and and we just thought how you know the the whole alarm haircut and and the the we, we that all you know we acoustic guitars with pickups in we couldn't afford Gretches so we we thought the next thing we will put an electric guitar pickup and my acoustic guitar and that became something else altogether so but it was you know the the beginnings of the alarm were really driven by meeting the stray cats and going on tour with them and soaking up every single second of of the six weeks I and mean, we were all together when on the night John Lennon died, you know, we we played in the the Marquee Club, and the, it was a big gig for us in London, and nobody came, and we were all disappointed, and it was packed for the Stray Cats, and then in the morning, I, I got on the tube to come into London, and and saw a man with a newspaper that said Lennon had been assassinated, and 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 we played two nights later, uh, the Stray Cats and the Arm, we all played in on Matthew Street in Erics where. Where which is right across the road from the cavern club and to get in the venue we had to wade through you know walls of and the flowers and people singing songs and that had a massive impact on on all of us you know we we were this it was uh, the first time someone up that we all had a common ground with had been really taken you know it was, it was like the second kennedy moment or it was like martin luther king you know it was one of those moments for 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 us as musicians nevermind Freedom fighters, civil rights. This was, you know, a rock and roll guy. You know, what? You know, it was a, uh, you know, Elvis died, but Elvis to see Lennon murdered, it was like, wow, it was, it was, it was brutal, and and it had a massive effect on all of us. You know, we played "Please, Please Me." The Stray Cats played Sora standing there, mm. and uh, and it, it it was, um, you know, again, I think <clears throat> that incident. It was okay seeing the Stray Cats on one level, but. It, seeing it and feeling the impact of Lennon being assassinated it kind of buried it into us or me certainly in in a way that was never going to go away there was a I felt something profound at that moment and I remember coming back from London and we had the radio on and it was all John Lennon music all the way for four hours and I remember we all sat in silence, but I remember thinking we're nothing compared to this guy all we're doing is we're talking about the weekend that was one also talking about friday We're not, we're not saying anything you know we're not prepared to die for this music so i thought everything's going to change from right now and and then a few months later i wrote unsafe building and thought you know that this i'll die for this song this i'll put my life on the line for this one I'm, I'm i know this is real you know the others it was it was all the means to get a record deal it was we wanted to be famous it was like Let's pack that stuff in, you know, let's just write great music. And if it only gets us to the garage, who cares? You know, but at least we'll, mm. we can go out with our heads held high,
0: you know, at that point, you know, and, and if nothing ever comes, it, at least we've given it a proper shot. That explains the genesis of the conviction that has always marked the alarm sound. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, it was, def- it was definitely born of something profound
1: without a doubt. You know, and we come from this small place, but we were impacted, you know, by world events in a way. Yeah, and with these amazing tutors from America to 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 sort of make sure we were plugged direct into the line of real rock music where it really came from. You know, they took us back to Woody Guthrie and 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 all that sort of stuff. You know, through their love of Elvis and but it was they they it wasn't Elvis their love. It was their love that Elvis was. They, it was Gene Gene Vincent for them and Eddie Cochran. And Eddie Cochran, yeah, that's what they were all about. You know, rebel rockers. You know, who who may be... Were, they were from small towns, you know, just they, they weren't big city guys, you know, they were all from small towns and they made it up as they went along and bumped into a few Spengarlies who t- turned them on some things. You know, the Pistols had Malcolm McLaren, you know, in a way we had the Stray Cats. We got our education from them, you know, like the Pistols might not have been the same band if they hadn't had someone who'd gone to New York and managed the New York Dolls, knew about Iggy Pop, knew about rock and roll. You, you, you need that. You need that enlightenment from... Those people that are older than you, you know, I've just finished reading a book about Oasis, and when I, when Andy, Alan McGee came along, the first thing he did was get Liam Gallagher to read about John Lennon. You'd think Liam Gallagher had known about John Lennon his whole life, but he he only really got into it when it was an older person who said to him, "You know what? This is the guy you need to, you know, take something from, learn something from, you know, be part of, you know, all that sort of thing." Without without that, you know, it, nothing's a true you know even elvis was building it on the back of something else wasn't he you know and it probably all goes back to you know the beginnings of life itself that's where music's come from and it's handed down are you still in touch with brian at all yeah uh, well with jim two weeks ago he stayed here (laughs) oh no kidding he stayed in our apartments and he'll be back in the summer and, and obviously um i saw Brian on the last british dates stray cats did in in uh, in manchester uh, at the apollo fantastic you know yeah so i i see jim all, a lot you know we became really close friends brian i know if you know what i mean and he you know he he's a lovely this guy when you meet him but i didn't get, you know joe strummer became really good friends with brian but but i didn't become that i i was more with jim we 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 just became we're still ace mates you know
0: Oh I love hearing that because because the the effect that that band had on you and to be to be able to sort of carry that into adulthood and um and maintain that kind of friendship is uh, that's a cool thing. Oh it's
1: great you know I I Jules my wife says oh you, you love Jim, don't you? I say, yep <laughs> without him I wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah
0: and and Lee Rocker Lee Rocker is, uh He's great. great as
1: well. Yeah, he's amazing.
0: Yeah, Lee's great.
1: They they're all brilliant. They they're, they're so, you know I I like it that they don't go out and uh, and be be uh, anything less than who they are whenever they play they look amazing when they go on stage you know slim jim has never put on weight you know to blow that slim he is forever slim jim phantom yeah whenever he goes on stage he looks brilliant brian whenever you see him it just blows your mind on the guitar He can do things that other people can't do and lee's just solid as a rock banging it out there in in the background you know and then done really great in life got a great marriage lives on the west coast fantastic and goes out and playing you know still playing as 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 uh rockers now you know
0: oh, that's really cool um man i'm stoked that i got a chance to talk to you i've always wanted to do that oh, yeah. i appreciate i appreciate you taking the time to do this oh it's a pleasure He'll yeah it's um, for, um, but good. no i i just your, your work has meant so much to me and i and i just uh i just love the alarm and and oh, those goodness. kinds of Thanks. those battle songs that you guys write have been a source of great inspiration for me in my life so
1: oh that's cool thanks very much indeed yeah long wait to continue absolutely
0: <laughs> i hope i hope you come back on the show definitely
1: thanks very much indeed
0: go, Mike Peters of The Alarm, one of the nicest guys. Such a great guy to talk to. I really, really enjoyed that. And you know what else? I love the new album. And you are going to as well. I promise you. Thealarm.com. Go there and pre-order Forwards, which is out June 2nd. And uh, it's going to be the album of your summer. It's just a bunch of summer anthems that you're going to be playing loud in your brand new convertible. As you, as you barrel down the freeway, blasting the alarm, yeah, in this scenario, you have a brand new convertible. You know what else you have? A brand new alarm hoodie. How about that? I don't know why you're wearing a hoodie while you're uh, driving a convertible. Maybe it's late at night. It's a little cold. Uh, but go to TheAlarm.com and pick up some merch is what I'm trying to say. And pre-order the new album forwards. It is totally going to knock you out. Okay, alexgreenonline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. You can also follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor or on Instagram at Embers Podcast or email me editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Please check out BombshellRadio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. And don't forget, Stereo Embers the Podcast, just in case it slipped your mind, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review And tell every single person on this planet that you know about our program. We would appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Whatever, the third single from the brand new album, Forwards, by The Alarm. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio.
2: No play.